0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Farm One podcast where we uncover local food stories, sustainable living, and stories about the agriculture system in New York City so that we can be a little bit more thoughtful about our food. Today we have a special episode because we have exciting news and a big announcement coming from the farm. Before we jump in, you can subscribe to our newsletter at our website at farm.one and you'll receive a notification each time we share a new a new episode. Um, before we jump in, Michael, how has your week been?
1: It's been okay. The weather right now is uh, almost perfect, so that, that certainly uh, picks up my mood. Um, I got my second shot last Monday, and uh, I'm excited to be fully vaccinated and feel a little bit better about uh, uh, the world, hopefully.
0: Exciting times. Exciting times. Rob, what's been going on with you?
2: Well, I'm lucky enough to have had a vacation last week. Uh, I went to Joshua Tree, and that was fantastic. We did some really great food, and we went to uh, Brentwood Farmers Market in LA and picked up some really just uh, the quality of avocados in California. Oh my God! You know, like we just made guac like a few hours after the <laughs> farmer's market and it was like the best guacamole i would had for a year and i was like oh yeah this is why <laughs> you know and um, it
1: costs like 45 cents for an avocado
2: yeah it was something like that right <laughs> and uh and we did a really nice panzanella um like this bread salad um with tomatoes so we've got these nice heirloom tomatoes which are fantastic so really really good food experiences um and also just eating outdoors in la was like this you know, it just feels much more natural than doing it in New York City when you're like dodging a taxi cab and like, um, you know, all this other stuff. Whereas in LA, you've got the space and the time and the sun to do it. So that was, um, yeah, a really great break and um, important because we've got some busy things happening soon.
0: That's awesome. It's so nice to hear that even in the industry and in the work that we're doing, that there are still food experiences that are surprising and remind you of why we're doing this
2: yeah totally and fresh food and local food you know the the funny thing is as well you, you know you go to the farmer's market in california you get very very local produce and it's very fresh but literally if you go to the grocery store you're getting something that just is not of the same quality and it's kind of ridiculous you know it's 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 crazy
1: that is ridiculous. I feel like California, A, has an unfair advantage when it comes to that stuff. And B, people take it for granted. Like I lived in California for almost 10 years. I lived in the Bay Area. And it's just abundance of, yeah. of quality food and ingredients. And you just totally take it for granted yeah. when you're out there.
2: Yeah,
0: 100%. That's awesome. Well, sound, sounds like a great, a great trip. Um, let's not leave our listeners waiting. Rob, I'd love to, you know, what, what do you have to share? Um, what's the big announcement from Farm One this week?
2: Well, we've got some really good news in that we finally are getting access to our farm space, the new farm in Brooklyn. This is something we've been waiting many, many, many months for. Um, you know, we started looking for new space in um, early November, really. And we thought we had found a great spot uh, in early December and everything seemed good, but um, for various reasons, the landlord sort of dropped out. And so we had to go scrambling, look for another space. We found we found what we thought was another amazing space um, in, uh, actually that the other one was sort of Park Slope, I guess. Um, and that one fell through as well, sort of for no good reason. Um, and so we've been, you know, Uh, very frustrated by the real estate process. Uh, But finally, um, in sort of early March, I guess, we we found um, a really great space um, in Prospect Heights. And it's uh, at an address which is 65 Bergen Street. And that one, uh, now finally, we're getting occupancy uh, on Monday. And so all this stuff that we've been preparing to do for months and months and months is now about to happen. And that's, that's the exciting thing. And um, so, yeah, I'd love to sort of talk more about what that site is gonna be, what it means for us and what's gonna be happening over the next few months.
0: This is a really exciting time. And those New York real estate pains sound really painful. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it- not
1: just New York real estate, it's New York real estate in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, where you know where you're you're trying to view a space and there's and everyone's masked up and there's so much uncertainty in the space itself and then there's so much uncertainty in the economy too you know at the end of last year keep in mind it's sort of you know we were kind of in this weird tricky space where we had come out of an open summer and then things were shutting down again and then we're coming into the spring and and all of that so all that to say that um I've never been through anything like that. I've never looked for commercial real estate in the middle of a global pandemic.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, also from the landlord side, they're all, you know, you're in a tough spot if you're doing commercial real estate in New York City right now. And like, um, I think we got a really good deal, but I don't think it was um, purely a buyer's market. I think a lot of uh, landlords are kind of holding on and waiting to see what happens later because of course, you know, rents are going to go up again. Um, So there's all these different dynamics going on and a lot of the sort of normal conversations are not happening right now. So, so yeah, I feel really lucky that we've got, finally got access to the space.
0: Awesome. I would love to talk through a little bit more about how we got here. You know, at the beginning of last year, we were still doing chef sales. We were hosting tours. We were having events. I was, I was a tour guide at the time and we were still doing edible bars how did we get from that point to the point where we're are, we, where we are today? We're doing um weekly deliveries. We have new subscription products. I'd love to hear that journey.
2: Yeah, you know, it was um obviously quite a tricky time for us as a company over the summer last year. We didn't really, we didn't really know what we we're doing we were trying a bunch of things we tried the direct-to-consumer approach but we were selling the same range of products that we were selling to chefs and it was just really too complicated and too kind of itty-bitty we had some really really happy customers who loved the product but they wouldn't really have a need for it um, on a regular basis and so for us it was like just a tough spot as a business and so you know we we tried to adopt this um new model, which was like, we called it a farm share initially, because we were kind of basing it a little bit on the sort of CSA approach. And um, that immediately had really, really good response from our customers. And we had some really, really excited customers who were ordering from us. And I think the last piece um, of that, that sort of tied it all together was finding a way to do it in reusable packaging, so that we eliminate plastic waste. And so that you're sort of getting an advantage as a consumer for having this weekly thing. Like that's why subscription kind of makes a lot of sense, is because we can pick up the containers when you're done, and it's a predictable kind of thing. So, so yeah, we sort of um, you know got the first version of that product together um, in what was it like October um, last year, and then by the time it hit November, we had already run out of capacity on the farm in Tribeca, Um you know, for context for everybody, we were serving about forty different restaurants out of our farm beforehand, um, but predominantly with specialty items. So you know, it'd be a lot more herbs and flowers and um, a few microgreens and things, but not a lot of the sort of baby greens or salad greens. And so when we converted the farm to serve subscription customers, we had to actually modify a lot of equipment and move. Uh, shelves around and move lights and change things and turn off some equipment and turn on new equipment. And it was actually quite a big process. But um, what it ended up with is, yeah, we were able to serve a certain number of customers out of that location and no more. And we've kind of been at that capacity limit since November, which is, of course, why we started looking for space. Um, But yeah, like that, that informed us that, you know, there was something great here, something that people could really could really love. And of course, you know, we wanted to make sure that as we add capacity and build a new farm, we also could make the experience better for existing members as well. So um, earlier this year, we started to offer these additional subscription products. And uh, the first one of those is smoothies, which are made by uh, our partner at Rawson Treats. And they're just like um, the best smoothies in New York City. I'm like convinced of this because you know, they're using some of our product in there. You're getting these really, really adventurous flavors. And I think they're made with a thoughtfulness that um, you don't get many other places. I, you know, when I was in LA last week, I had a smoothie and like, you know it's like regular smoothie bar kind of stuff. But I feel like they've been making that smoothie since like 2009 or whatever. It hasn't really got more interesting. Uh, whereas the smoothies that we've got are kind of much more sort of unexpected. So we've got the smoothies, we've got uh, mushrooms that are grown by our friends at Smallhold, just, you know, in locally in Brooklyn. Uh, we've got the fresh made um, cashew and oat milks, which are, you know, like if you do a taste test comparison with those things, like, I mean, they'll, they're just winners, basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got these different things going on. Uh, and that's, of course, important for us as a business to kind of You know offer these different things to people who can't yet get their hands on greens pack um and you know of course like the tricky thing for us as well was like okay we want to make sure there's demand for this new farm so we did um make it possible to sign up uh on the wait list to to get your greens pack um but the you know the the tricky thing as well is we want to give people some kind of expectation of when they're going to get the product and because of all this real estate delay um the estimate we had was not accurate to when people would get their first product so i think it's been um you know it's a challenge for us as a business because in a way there's sort of nothing that our team has done wrong you know in terms of making this delay it wasn't that we were just sort of crappy at building farms it was really down to this real estate issue and so uh You know, it's that's been a bit tricky, but the great thing is now that once we have possession of the space, we have a lot more control over the timeline because building a farm is something that we know how to do, and uh, it's a it's a much more predictable stage. So, so now I'm getting to the point of you know some kind of sort of comfortableness and relief, like it's the thing is a bit more under our control now. You know.
1: Yeah, and just to add, maybe maybe to un because you said a lot there in terms of what we've been through, but maybe just to unpack a few of the points that I think are interesting from where I sit, um, mostly on the business side, is um, you know we've just gone through this really intense period of really product development, and it's sort of a very classic product development process. Now there was a pretty big switch from. The former chef sales model of production, and the former direct-to-consumer production, where you know it's one thing to say, well, you're just a farm. Why don't you just grow a bunch of leafy greens, just grow some lettuce, and you know it'll be fresh and delicious. But of course, that's not what the Farm One brand was, uh, or is. And I, I, what what I really loved watching the team work through was to say, okay, you know, we've got this experience growing 700 different varieties of things. How do we bring that level of creativity, that level of interest, that level of, you know, you could argue uh, lack of scale, right? Because every week it's different. And, you know, I really give credit to the team for taking that on as a challenge where you're receiving both um, staple varieties in your weekly delivery, the, you know, some of the things that you know and love and that type of thing—but you're constantly hit with these new flavors. Where you know Justin and the farm and production team are constantly um, testing, trying different things out, testing new seeds and varieties, and I think that's that's so interesting um, and really sort of a, a big part of what makes um, our products sort of you know special. Um, the other thing that's really struck me is um, uh, the shift to reusable containers. Um, I remember when we sort of, you know, brought it up, and you know, we were like, "Well, we should try this. We should do this." And we were all thinking, "Man, the logistics of this. Is this even going to be this crazy? You know, cost and how is this going to work? How are we going to figure out the logistics? It doesn't make sense. And you know, it's, it's just going to be crazy." But really, the process that we went through. And where we are now, and you know, to the point where we're like, no, we're not gonna offer single use plastic single use containers anymore. It's all gonna be reusable, it's just part of the service. And I think that commitment to it really sort of made me think about how to build this business in a very different way. Um, and you know, it's it's a step that um, I see a lot of businesses struggle with out there, right? And of course, we don't have the legacy of, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of a business, but um, where you've got to shift. So, you know, it's like the classic sort of innovators dilemma for them. But then for us, we don't have that legacy. So we can be really courageous and, and do new things like that.
0: Michael, the point that you were sharing about the flavors really resonates with me. As a tour guide, one of the most memorable experiences I have is just every single guest coming through the farm and the look on their faces when they tried a new flavor and they had no idea that that flavor could come from a plant. Now that these customers get that experience at home is really rewarding. And I know that we're able to bring that experience into people's homes, so it's really exciting. And same with the reusables. I was definitely one of those people. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how we'll ever get to do this. And now we're doing it. And so it's just really interesting to see us overcome, overcome that logistical challenge. I'd love to talk about the new farm location. The farm that we're gonna have, the new farm in Brooklyn is gonna be way bigger than our Tribeca farm. In Tribeca, it's in a basement underneath the um, restaurant Atera. I'd love to hear more about the new farm location and what makes this one special.
2: Yeah, I think for us, you know, we wanted to get access to a certain amount of space. That's clear, right? (laughs) Because we grow things and so the more space we have, the more things we can grow. We, you know, we liked being in Manhattan in Tribeca because it was very, very easy to deliver and also as a place to visit it's a really, really central location. But of course, like access to much larger space um, in Manhattan is really tough. Uh, and also, you know, a lot of our customers are in Brooklyn. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? So, you know, the perfect location for us would really be a place where we can deliver very easily by bike, uh, but also we can have something, a place where people can visit as well from the neighborhood. Um, and we, we really wanted to, continue to show that urban farming can exist like within a community rather than being in sort of some industrial estate on the edge of a city. Um, And that's why, you know, we went for this neighborhood and this building. So we're in a neighborhood that you might call Prospect Heights. Um, It's sort of just north of Prospect Park in Brooklyn and actually we're close to a street called Vanderbilt. Um, which has a lot of little independent restaurants on there. There's some local stores, there's like really kind of good food uh, in that neighborhood. And I think there's a lot of people in that neighborhood who also care a lot about food and sustainability and where they're getting it from. And so we really hope that Farm One can be a real asset to that community and can kind of unlock some things that people have been wanting, you know. Um, additionally, at Prospect Park, there's a great farmers market as well. That's you know there on a very very regular basis, and people are a lot of lots of fans of that farmers market, and, and we want to support that as well. So I think we're in a, a great kind of neighborhood, and we're on a street which is actually a really nice street and the funny thing is our building is kind of the ugliest building on the street right now um and that will change we're about to really really improve the building and make it look very nice and and the front of the building will have um some very nice features that we're working on right now um so what i want is that we can come in and we can you know show that we're a real benefit to the community and we're doing things to make it better um and, uh yeah, I don't know. I'm like I'm really excited about being part of that neighborhood. I'm personally every time I go visit, you know I discover some new place around the corner, a place to eat or something. you know there's a restaurant called Olmstead, which is uh, just a, a couple of blocks away, which is fantastic. And I think you know, as've as I've said a couple of times uh, in conversations over the past few months, like people are really excited about rediscovering New York City as it reopens, I think. And, you know, I'm delighted that we can sort of be part of that and be a place that people can come uh, in their neighborhood.
0: You touched upon this point that vertical farms tend to gravitate towards warehouses and industrial parks. Why do you think that is? And what does this mean? You know, you you started explaining this, but how does this change the game for vertical farms in the future that we're in a community?
2: yeah you know I think like historically the first large-scale plant factories or vertical farms were in Japan uh, some in Korea quite a few used repurposed semiconductor facilities so these kind of large warehouses that are like clean rooms and and that's sort of the in one way the start of like vertical farming in another way you know hydroponics is something that almost every college kid has experimented with in their closet to grow cannabis, you know, and that's the other side of it. So you've got this sort of like super DIY type of hydroponics. And we, and we meet a lot of folks who are trying to build like a little system, not necessarily to grow weed, but like they want to grow some herbs in their basement. And, and so I, I kind of love that DIY style of hydroponics, in addition to this sort of super clean room organized style as well. And I think that what is um, maybe a little frustrating or disappointing so far about the most visible types of of vertical farms, certainly in the US, is that they're not really, they're just kind of machines, they're not really part of a community. Uh, You could, you'll have a big building, which has no transparency to it, like you go inside and then there's a farm, but like, it's not open to the public, it's not actively you know engaging with the community um and that stuff you know i I think we all rely on it to a certain extent you know most of us use amazon and we order and we have no idea where that package came from we have no idea who the delivery person was we have no idea who packed it we have no idea who picked it from the shelf like all of that stuff and you know modern life sort of functions on quite a bit of that but the more you do that the less that people are involved a sort of visible, the less it is a, it's not a real process, it's sort of like a machine. And I think farm one has an opportunity not to operate just as a machine, but to operate as a really important part of a community. And that means being transparent, it means showing people how we work, it means having real people work there with names and identities and interests and um, backgrounds and you know, interesting things. And, and that's what everyone who has a job should have an opportunity to have. Like, shouldn't they? You know, isn't that just an obvious thing? Um, and additionally, just the design of a space. You know, the the world is full of sort of big, horrible buildings that are boring, isn't it? Like, if you drive around, I mean, I drove around a fair bit last week in LA. And like, there's plenty of parts of LA that are just Boring and ugly, and who would want to work there, you know? And I think it's time that we just build nice things and like improve the neighborhood we're in. Like, we're taking over a building that's ugly right now, and it's sort of, I don't really have anything against graffiti, but it's covered in graffiti, and it's covered in graffiti because someone has decided that, like, we don't care about this building, you know? And I think what we can do is come in and show we care about the building and be a real business there. I, I I sort of feel like I'm repeating myself again and again and again, but like this is the this is sort of the point. And I, I was reading um, Yvonne Chouinard's book. Uh, he's the founder of Patagonia, last week, and you know he's a complex character, and I'm not 100% sure I would want to work with him every day of the week. It sounds like a bit of a uh, idiosyncratic guy, but. I think that I, what I realized from that book was that you know he was prepared to do quite hard things to protect the environment that he really cared about. They made a real big shift. They were selling uh, what's called pitons, which are the things that you would hammer into the rock when you climb. And that was like the standard way of climbing. Um, I might get the numbers wrong, but in the 50s, basically. And a new technique came about of using these chocks and using sort of things that you could take out again with no damage to the wall and people started to call it clean climbing. But they they made a complete shift to that clean climbing approach. Um, and that was a risk for them as a business, but they really, really believed in it because they saw that if more and more people took on the traditional approach, like every wall, you know, Yosemite would be just covered in these these um, these piton marks and so you know, the reason for mentioning that is that I really think it's time for businesses to make hard decisions and do real things. And choosing a building in a community is part of that. Choosing to do reusable packaging is part of that. There's plenty of other things we're going to be doing soon as well. And I want us as a business to sort of do hard things. And I think it's time for it's time for all kinds of businesses to do hard things, particularly when it comes to climate, particularly when it comes to income inequality, particularly when it comes to community and food security. Um, and, but where I, where I look around, especially in vertical farming, I don't see companies doing those hard things. I see companies, there was a crazy article that was written last week about plastic packaging. And basically it was a guy at one of the big vertical farming companies sort of just saying like, oh, it's so difficult. Like that was the the message of the article. And I just thought it was rubbish. It was like, well, get on with it, man. Like life's too short to just say like, oh, it's too complicated to do this properly. Um, Anyway, I'll stop complaining. This wasn't meant to be (laughs) me. The the answer is we're excited about the community. We think we could do a really, really nice thing. And I think it's a really cool part of, there, there literally is not another sort of block. In Manhattan, that I would want to be in. Uh, in in New York City. I think this is a perfect location for us.
1: Well, I think also to add a bit of um, maybe a bit of color to some of what Rob you just said, which you know it was 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 great and brilliant, and should show everyone kind of how how Rob's mind works and how he how he thinks and challenges the team a little bit. But you know, when you think of why these farms don't exist in, in cities and at a, at a commercial scale. And uh, even at the size that we're building, you know, it really comes down to economics, right? I mean, even as we were searching for these spaces, when you try to make the economics of what we sell work, um, we'd be way more profitable if we paid, you a know, dollar, $2, $5 a square foot on the middle of nowhere you know, bought a few trucks and just trucked it in, but we made the choice not to, not only did we make the choice not to, but even within the boundaries of New York City and in the boundaries of Brooklyn, one of the requirements that we had was it's got to be close to public transportation because we want people that live in New York City to be able to come and work with us, to be able to easily come to work to not have to exclude people because of access to transportation. So when you begin to factor some of those things in, you know, you end up sort of with a pretty narrow view. I think our, um, the real estate team that we worked with probably were pulling their hair out. These guys are crazy, but, um, you know, but, but those are the things that are important. Now, when you think about that from a business perspective, then you say, okay, well, you know, this is a crazy non-scalable tiny little space. Well, When you put constraints on yourself as a business this way, whether it's around reusable packaging, whether it's around space and and all of that, what it does is you either, you you have a few choices. You either are faced with the challenge and you say, this is too difficult. This is not a business. This is ridiculous. Stop. Or you say, how do I make it work? And that's where, you know, you, you find people, I think, that are drawn to this, that are Uh, uh, are motivated by these creative challenges because same thing with Patagonia and one of the companies that I've I've really sort of followed through the years and and been fascinated with how they've built their business because they're not a small business you know they're a sizable business and up until I think they've almost never uh, advertised up until quite recently and have you know built uh, uh, almost a billion dollar brand off of that now you put these constraints in yourself. And in order to build a successful business, A, you have to be extremely creative, and B, you start to, and as a result of that, you start to think of things that you wouldn't normally do, right? So if you look at any of these plant factories, they're running the same game. Yes, there's technology, who's, who's gonna be able to hire the best engineers, You know, pay them the most, those types of things, sure. Those, those are challenges in and of themselves. But they're all just running the same game, and sure, there's a place for it. But is that interesting for some people? Yes, but you know, I think um, it's it's clear for us. Uh, we've taken a slightly different tack.
0: Awesome, thanks. I think we have a really good picture of why Farm One chose the building, the community, and have a great sense of the location and how you approach that. So how are we approaching the design of the inside of the building?
2: Yeah, well, it's a 10,000 square foot space. It's a single story building. The ceilings are sort of 12 feet, 14 foot high. Um, So it's like a big empty box. And actually that was great because, you know, as a floor plan, we obviously in any time you're looking at real estate you encounter what is like the same square footage, but it might be completely different if you've got columns and if you've got different levels and stuff like that. Whereas this is pretty nice. is very few columns and really quite a lot of open space. Um, that space gets used up real fast though. What happens is you you try to, I mean certainly our approach is like okay, we want to make the grow room kind of as big as we can make it because more grow room means more grow space, which means more members we can serve, which means you know, um, uh, more money for us as a business to stay alive, you know? Um, so that grow room ended up being a sort of L shape. Um, at, and the reason is all the other stuff that we need to support that grow room. Uh, but it's kind of an L shape and it's sort of roughly 50-ish percent of that, that space. Um, and what we're doing with that is we're, do, we're using uh, mobile racks again. So these are the racks that move on tracks. Um, and a lot of people use these now, especially in cannabis um, growth, because it gives you more growth space, right? The, the great thing about mobile racks is that you only need like one aisle uh, open at a time, or maybe a couple of aisles uh, if you've got a large space. And that instantly gives you about 30% more growth space in one, in one room. Um, and that that racking technology has sort of come on even a little bit over over the past four years since we built Tribeca Um, and so we're excited about using that it's pretty established technology and then um, apart from the grow room we'll also have an event space and the big feature of the event space will be a big wall to the farm a big glass wall so you can see the farm and that's very important to us and that that event space will be something that Um, we'll share with our members and also other people at different times in the uh, week and that will be available to rent as well so maybe maybe someone will have a wedding at farm one at some point in the next year or so that would be really exciting Um, and then there's all this sort of support space that goes on behind the scenes to support growing and, and packing and delivering so we got like a a quite big kind of packing room, which is sort of also um, a prep kitchen for some simple uh, foods. So that's kind of a very clean space. And then there's also a wash, uh, like container washing and storage room, which is like very sort of boring in a way, but very essential because with all these containers coming in, there's a lot of washing to do, a lot of washing and sanitizing and, Uh, drying and all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of like a little engine um, for the farm where you have containers coming in back from deliveries and they go into a specific place and they get scanned and checked and we check if people have returned their bottles and their containers and stuff like that. Um, And then there's, of course, like cold storage and, and um, things to store raw materials and things, Um, you know, the quantity of like raw material that's going to go through the space is obviously about 10 times bigger than what we've got at Tribeca right now. So there's a lot of pallets and there's a lot of uh, bits of grow media coming in and even seeds, you know, like Justin is ordering Um, It's not tons of seeds yet, but it's almost that (laughs) over a year basis, you know, so. um, So there's that. And then there's a delivery area. So what we're doing is we're continuing to do bike delivery. That's very important for us. It's zero emissions. Um, But bike delivery is a little bit tricky for us to coordinate across the whole of New York City. And so we're supporting that with an electric vehicle as well. Uh, which I am going with Justin to get next week, which is exciting. And we're going to be able to park it inside our new building safely for a few weeks. Um, so yeah, there'll be an electric vehicle charging there. There'll be like these cargo bikes, which um, can carry a lot of material. Uh, and Those cargo bikes are like electric bikes as well. It's um, it's uh, very very helpful for our delivery folks to have an electric bike as opposed to a manual one. If you can imagine, like um, cycling up a big hill with a cargo trailer behind you, it's like quite the workout. Even though Amir is a very fit guy, I don't know if uh, <laughs> he wants to be doing that all manually. And then finally, I think one of the things that was being really tough for us at Tribeca is just having like a nice. Uh, set of spaces for our employees to go when they're on a break, or they need to go to the bathroom, or they need to, uh, you know, do something else just get changed. That's been really, really tough. And so what we're really determined to do in this space is have a nice place for everyone to eat a family meal together. um, Using farm one ingredients, I'm sure, Uh, but also a nice place to rest and get changed nice bathrooms. Um, You know, it's just it sucks if you've been working on a long shift and you're tired and hot and sweaty and you want to like go to the bathroom and then the bathroom is like not very nice. That sucks. So um, we want to do a lot better at that and, and have a really good environment. And so if we can get all these things right. I think it should be a really, really lovely place to work where you're surrounded by greenery. It's very well lit. And then you've got a space to go and eat lunch and catch up with people. Um, and and that applies to all of our staff. Like not, you know, I think what's what I have seen in some companies, like is like the management team has a really nice office and they have a nice cafeteria or whatever, and then the people on the, you know, uh, factory floor have a different experience. And I don't think we want to do that. I think we want a, um, an aligned experience uh, for everyone.
0: Thanks, Rob. I have a lot of friends that work in NYC residential architecture and construction, and I see sometimes snapshots into their work. And it looks like kind of a nightmare to build and do construction in New York City. How is this farm even going to get built? What's the process behind you know, turning this warehouse space into a workable farm?
2: Yeah, well, luckily, the space itself does not require a lot of uh, preparation. That's one of the reasons why we chose it. And so when we get in there, um, the sort of biggest like thing that we have to install before we can do anything is is the HVAC. So the, which is the air conditioning, uh, climate control for the farm. We have to make sure that's set up, right? Because uh, you know, of course, that's how our plants grow. And so there's a period of time doing that. But at the same time, we'll be doing plumbing and doing things like drilling into the floor to create floor drains. Um, all our equipment is on racks, right? And then water, newsflash, water flows down. Uh, and so uh, floor drains are kind of really useful in this kind of farm because you end up cleaning things up and wanting to put things in the floor drain and stuff like that. So we'll do that first. And then what we're doing uh, is a sort of multiple phase construction approach. And that's because we've got a bunch of people on a waitlist who are now uh, waiting for their greens, and you know, understandably, they want that as soon as possible. So, we're going to do this kind of first phase where it's all about getting this first section of the grow room up and running. Um, and that also is going to be divided initially. We're going to use these kind of industrial curtains, uh, they're basically much. Uh, quicker and easier and less labor-intensive and less resource-intensive than building walls. So we're going to use those first and get ourselves up and running quickly. And then uh, we put in these mobile racks. So what happens is it's kind of awesome. Like these, these um, teams come in with all the racking equipment and it's sort of like a big Ikea furniture thing. Um, Ikea is great. Uh, it's, it's a bit more sturdy than Ikea, but Ikea is great. Um, So they come in and it's sort of they'll come in and they'll install this amazing quantity of equipment just within a couple of days. It's kind of crazy because you walk in on a Monday and there'll be uh, an empty room. And then by Wednesday, they're like, oh, yeah, we're done. This is it. Like You've got loads of this racking equipment. And once you've got the racks on. Um, Then normally you'll be installing the lights first and the lights that we're getting are pretty easy to kind of pop on to the equipment. Uh, And then there'll be plumbing and trays within that. So lots and lots of trays. Um, And then we'll do some airflow as well. And things like controllers to manage nutrients and and that kind of thing. Um, And so, yeah, it's sort of a process that we've done a bunch of times before. The nice thing is like a lot of this stuff kind of clips together. It's not, It's not like we have to build things out of wood or or anything like that. Um, And then and then the further phases will happen. So the event space is happening uh, in a couple of months' time, and some of the walls of the other bits and pieces are going to be done. Um, So yeah, like you know, over between um, during May, June, July, etc. You know, you'll see a, a radical kind of change to the space.
0: I'm really excited to see it. Be sure to follow along at our Instagram farm one and also subscribe to our newsletter at our website where you'll get some behind the scenes look at looks at the construction of our new farm. So this farm's is going to be much bigger than our Tribeca farm. I'd love to get a picture of how many people will it take to run this farm? Who are they and what are they doing?
2: Yeah, well, It is a lot bigger. Uh, It's also bigger and and at the same time, we're doing other stuff in addition to what we were doing before. So um, if you go to our careers website right now, we're hiring for a few different roles. There's uh, a producer role, which is uh, the person directly working on the farm floor, like harvesting and planting and all that kind of stuff. Um, And those roles are great because they don't really require any prior knowledge of hydroponic, you can hydroponics, you can come in and we'll train you um, to get you up and running with that position. And there's, there'll be some more senior roles as well um, that we're kind of gradually hiring for over the next few months. So eventually the farm space may in some forms like hire, uh, uh, employ more than 40 people. Um, And that's between working on the farm, packing, delivery is a big thing um, and also managing all these different spaces. And then there's an events component as well, which will require people like tour guides like your old job and um, people to manage a bar and that kind of thing. Uh, But the hiring will sort of happen gradually over the next few months. And, you know, one of the important things about all of those roles is like, first of all, we want to hire people from the community. So we're actively kind of recruiting in Brooklyn. And we're working with partners like Teens for Food Justice uh, and Collective Fair in Brownsville um, and trying to really work with folks who, you know, have good connections to the community who um, know people who are kind of interested and really passionate about this area. Um, so we just hired a new guy called Taylor and he's like the most passionate person about hydroponics and urban farming that I think I've ever met uh, and I think he will probably have his own podcast one day or something like that um but uh yeah and and the other thing about it I think that's really important is you know if you take our delivery folks, um, our member envoys uh you know that's a job which, and we've posted about this on our Instagram. It's a, it's a job that is, is hard in New York City and actually it's not supported sufficiently by a lot of companies who employ delivery drivers or delivery bike people. So, you know, when you order something from uh, a takeout delivery service, maybe I won't name any, but a lot of the time that, that bike um, delivery person is sort of working for multiple companies. They're like trying to, you know, figure out how to make the most money they're not i mean sometimes they're getting tips sometimes they're not there's a big debate about whether they're a gig worker or a permanent employee we want to get rid of all of that sort of um i don't want to call it nonsense i don't want to belittle it but it's all kinds of just a, a way of working that we don't really support so our um, delivery folks uh, have a very, have very predictable hours. they have continuous income, they don't rely on tips, they have benefits, they have health care, they have insurance, um, all this kind of stuff that I think um, every job should have. And so um, we want to make that position something that if you want to stay in that role long term, you can totally do that and support yourself. Um, and if you want to, Advance and go into a managerial position. Um, we want to make sure that there's a really good career path for that. Um, and long term, you know, my my hope, I think everyone on the team's hope is that people stay with us for ten years, for twenty years, and they um, build up, um, you know, a great experience at Farm One, but also financial security for their family. Um, and so we we're doing things right now to give people financial stakes in the business um, so that. Uh, they do benefit from the success of Farm One, just as you know other companies have done, um, and that's that's really really important to us as well.
0: I appreciate you sharing the approach on employment and making it a consistent source and supporting the employees and their families. I'm sure our listeners are dying to know when is the farm going to be open for visitors.
2: Well, that's a good question, Aina. And we do not know the answer yet. Um, Our intention fully is to have this event space, and then it will be something that we can uh, share. It's going to be a couple of months uh, before that's ready. In the meantime, what we're also doing is looking at maybe reopening Tribeca. Um, to some small uh, parties at some point. It's it's obviously tough, like with the COVID situation, you know, like with vaccines and masks and all this kind of stuff. Um, so we're really trying to, you know, prioritize eventually having an awesome event space um, in Brooklyn and then also giving members first access uh, to uh, events and tours at Tribeca. So there's no clear date on that yet, but it will happen and I think Uh, We expect to have like our first visitors in some way, either Tribeca or in in Brooklyn, probably before September, but uh, probably not much before that.
0: Awesome. I'm sure our listeners are also curious about what does this mean for Chef Sales? Does Farm One have any plans to continue those?
2: Um, Yeah, so Chef Sales is an interesting one for us. Obviously that was our core business before. Um, the, the tricky part of that business is obviously it's like a really kind of labor intensive process. Um, and it's, you know, it should be because you're trying to create a really fantastic product that Michelin style restaurants can use. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that, uh, is a little bit tricky. What we're going to be doing, um, certainly as an order of principle is being really as we've always done being really, really selective about the restaurants that we work with um, so that we're trying to kind of support the best of New York City. Um, you know, we'd like to work with independent restaurants, we'd like to work with chefs who are really pushing the boundaries of amazing cuisine. We like to work with people who um, support the same values that we do in terms of employment and in terms of food access and sustainability and all kinds of things. And I think one of the really inspiring things about um, COVID is that quite a lot of restaurants, if not all of them, have done things to help the community and to you know, improve uh, food security across the city. And that's that's really exciting. Um, we're not gonna immediately return to chef sales. We, we already, as you can imagine, have people reaching out to us saying, hey, we wanna get back on uh, Farm One product. We're not doing that immediately because we just have no capacity. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll roll out some kind of chef sales over the next few months as we get more capacity up and running in Brooklyn. Uh, but it won't look exactly like it was before. That's my vague, ambiguous answer for you. Uh, <laughs> but we definitely think about it all the time, and it's definitely it's definitely still going to be part of the Farm One offering in some form.
0: Thank you. Um, So with all of this, what does this mean for Farm One? What's next? What will we be doing over the next few months?
2: Yeah, so as I mentioned, we've got these uh, new subscription types going. We've got the smoothies, which I have to reiterate again, they're just the best thing I've ever had. And I drink a lot of smoothies. So I consider myself an expert in smoothies. These are the best smoothies. Um, So we've got all that going on. And I think what we're trying to do to support that is that we try to start to create more content that will help you be more thoughtful about your food. And so the the really sort of um, useful everyday version of that is the meal plan, which you've worked on, Ina. Um, Do you wanna talk about the meal plan? I don't want this just to be me talking. You can tell us about the meal plan.
0: Yeah, I think that the reason behind this, we wanted to give inspiration on how to use the ingredients in every single meal that, these ingredients can be incorporated into breakfast, even snacks. I'm definitely a huge snacker and I you know, love to see how farm one ingredients are incorporated into snacks. So it's a great way to get inspiration for every single meal of the week and also to reduce the cognitive load of deciding on what to eat. Having to make the, that decision for 21 meals a week is a lot. We understand that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And actually um, this was kind of a suggestion from one of our members, Jen, um, who always kind of, I know we used to do a smaller kind of recipe suggestion thing and then she was like, yeah, I always make the recipes. And we were like, oh, okay, you're actually using this thing. So let's extend it. Um, so yeah, I agree. And and what you'll see is, I, I guess more stuff like that. It won't exactly look like that, but we're trying to find ways for, to help people use their product and get like the best out of it um we also are really doing more and more content around how to be thoughtful about your food so as a consumer in new york city you have of course unlimited options in a way but for a lot of people you know it's hard to um either get to the farmer's market on a regular basis it's hard to you know select things from the millions of things available in grocery stores it's hard to know even if you buy something at the grocery store it's hard to know like okay, what are the, what's the impact of what I'm buying? What company is that? All that kind of stuff. Um, and then when it comes to reusable packaging, of course, like there's very, very limited options for you. And so we're really gonna be rolling out more things to support um, people who want to be able to buy things in reusable packaging, who want to be able to know that what they're buying uh, is from a really reputable company and all that kind of stuff. And to support that as well, we wanna be producing more things to help you Learn about food and learn about all the characters and people and and situations uh, about food. So, we've got these interviews that we've been doing on the farm. We've actually got a great backlog of interviews that we're yet to publish. Um, So, we've got uh, folks from sort of food security backgrounds, folks from uh, agriculture, folks from uh, experts about grocery stores, all that kind of stuff. So, you'll see that content come out over the next few months. Um, And then we'll always do our What's in the Bag video, which we're trying to make. Um, crazier and crazier each week. This week's is really good. I hope you enjoy it. It involves a magical elixir Um, and we're working with a couple of filmmakers um, to help us do that kind of stuff. So you can see more content soon about like the Prospect Heights neighborhood and about um, things that are just around the corner from the farm. I'm really excited about that. So that's um, kind of online stuff and some of that will be members only. Some of that will be for everybody um you know just as an extra incentive to be a member um and also like we're going to be doing uh of course events and that's where the event space comes in and so giving members access to stuff that isn't otherwise available you know special events members nights that kind of thing to use that space um and then of course um, ways for us to bring in exciting speakers as well. So we really want farm one to be this kind of hub of great conversations about food. Um, really going back to that term of being thoughtful about food. Uh, I think I've got most of that there. Michael, what am I missing something? I'm sure you've got an intelligent way of, um, explaining what I just, what I just uh, said and adding some interesting things.
1: Well, I'd say, you know, if you take a step back and kind of think about what we're trying to do and what our principles are about local, about fresh, about sustainability and, and you know, the, about employment and a myriad of other things. And what's interesting to me with this is, you know, we went from selling our greens pack, which is, you know, the obvious product for us to sell, to, okay, you know, we've got this delivery and logistics and production infrastructure as a business. And so what other things could make it interesting? And, you know, we went down this path of product development and, you know, found a fantastic partner in some Treats that led us down this path with smoothies and nut milks. And it's sort of like, okay, you think about the product development that went into that. Obviously it needed some element of farm one, <clears throat> excuse me, of um our products in there which every smoothie has but it also needed to live up to those standards of um local of fresh of sustainable and everything else which you know we worked through and then we looked at mushrooms and so on so what's interesting here i think is if if you're a member or you know hopefully the things that are interesting to you are that and that um, you know, we begin to build a brand in the minds of New York City uh, residents and others that this is a place where I can access these ingredients, I can access these products because they've gone through this thoughtful process of developing these products, of curating these weekly menus, of curating business partners that are, you know, share similar values and things like that. And so I think. What we've been doing a lot of that I find really interesting that I don't see anywhere else in the market is trying to unveil that. Now on the flip side, if we get this right, we become a fantastic partner to other local businesses in New York, where we're able to do some wonderful things with them. We're able to become a meaningful source of revenue for them. where We're we're able to help them build their business as well, which becomes a really interesting template, I think, for us. Um, The other thing about the content, you know, it's very content marketing and and all of that in the the marketing world has sort of been one of these buzzwords. Um, Often it's an afterthought, right? It's an afterthought or it's a vanity project or it's kind of a checkbox, you have to do it. What's been interesting in this process, and I've been through that a number of times in my career and inevitably it's like meaningless. (laughs) not only meaningless, but it inevitably fails. But um, I I think what's different here is when you think of it as part of the product, as opposed to something that serves the business of the product, that's where it becomes very different. So, you know, hopefully we're successful with it and and it becomes a big part of it. But we're putting as much effort into generating that content um, as we do the other parts of the product. Uh, that we're building. So that part of it's sort of been really interesting. And I think it goes back to my earlier point about when you put these constraints in your business, it makes you think of your business in different ways. It makes you be creative in different ways. Um, So I think that's an expression of it there as well.
2: Yeah, totally. I love making films. I used to make films in college. I ran a little film festival back in the days when you had to send us like a mini DV tape which probably no one knows what that is anymore, but it was like a sort of two inch long, one inch wide little tape. Uh, We used to do that in London and we used to do it in Budapest and Berlin and stuff. Um, So yeah, like I love making films and I'd love for us to be able to use that as a medium to kind of get this this stuff out there. And it's great to be working with like young filmmakers as well. We just started working with this guy called Corey and he's like super enthusiastic and excited. and, uh, and all of that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving that uh, approach.
0: A lot of exciting things happening for Farm One. Thank you so much, Rob and Michael, for sitting down today and giving us a behind the scenes look of what's happening at the farm.
2: You're so welcome, Ina. I will do this <laughs> anytime. time. And uh, thanks for letting me speak for such a long time today.
0: Of course, of course. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at our website farm.one and you'll be notified every time we have a new podcast episode. I'm Ina signing off. Thank you so much for joining and see you next time.